Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's episode is a little different in that we won't be going into the details of a particular job as such, which is what we generally do in most of our episodes. What instead we'll be doing today is share a story that hopefully will inspire you and help you think about life in a slightly different way from a slightly different perspective, especially when you're feeling low, stressed, or just anxious. So our guest today is Virali Modi, and it's very hard to describe Virali in just a few sentences in a way that would do justice to who she is, but I have to do an intro, so let me try. First of all, Virali is a top writer on Quora. In fact, she's been a top writer on Quora every single year since 2014. She has more than 65,000 followers on Quora, and to put that into context, Travis Kalanick, who is the founder, co-founder and CEO of Uber, has 48,000 followers on Quora. Hillary Clinton has 47,000 followers on Quora. So, well, that's not entirely a fair comparison. Those accounts are not very active, but it gives you an idea just how popular Virali is on Quora. Virali is also a published writer. Her work has been published in BuzzFeed, Slate, BBC, and a number of other outlets. And Virali is also Miss Wheelchair India 2014 runner-up. And that, I think, gives you an idea about the deeper story behind Virali. Virali was paralyzed neck down at a very young age. And what's really incredible about Virali is that not only has she worked very, very hard to retain significant control over her body, she has also managed to pick herself up and nurture a very, very positive and hopeful attitude towards life and the things that she wants to do and achieve. Um, I've shared the link to the video that shows her recovery in the description of the episode. So I do recommend checking that out because it really shows you how much hard work Virali has put in. And on today's episode, Virali is going to be sharing with us her journey, how she looks at life now, the kind of highs and lows that she went through. It seems that she was in depression for a while. She was even suicidal. Even the story of how she was paralyzed is really quite uh, quite a story, really. So um, I think this is a discussion which had a lot of impact on me. It definitely inspired me. And hopefully it'll inspire you also and help you through some of the tough phases in your life. So with that, let's welcome Virali. Virali, hi. Hi, hi, Sonali. How are you? I am very good and I'm so excited to have you on the show. Honestly, uh, I've read your answers and you really are an inspiration to a lot of people on Quora, actually. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine, honestly. I mean, I I saw, so I mean, as I was researching 
for this discussion i've read a bunch of your answers in the past but i saw the mm-hmm. video that you've shared on uh, youtube which is uh, which shows your recovery and mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's really quite impressive because it shows just the sheer amount of hard work you've put in i mean how long has it been now since you've been di- diagnosed since i've been paralyzed it's yeah. going to be 11 years in september 11 years yeah and uh, how old were you when this happened i was 14 turning 15 wow yeah so it actually happened um i was born in september so it happened in september so i mean it was just a huge crazy story honestly uh just it's just crazy that's all i can say it's crazy yeah because uh, and i would encourage listeners to definitely check out your answers on cora because the way you were paralyzed is is quite strange uh it seems that you came down with some sort of infection and then uh, the do- the doctors could not really figure out what went wrong and then the next minute you were paralyzed the doctors honestly still don't have any idea as to what's wrong so if any of the listeners are doctors please diagnose me because i need closure i need to find out what's wrong with me and nobody knows so it's just it's just confusing because i did have an infection it was malaria but the doctors here in the us they could not diagnose it hmm. for whatever reason i guess because maybe um the different strain of malaria that i had it was not they couldn't diagnose it yet. it was not they could not test it basically so they could not um they couldn't give me the right the proper medicine for it any preventative medicine as well and so because they couldn't give me any medicine and because they couldn't get anything in the reports i was just kept in a hospital without any kind of medication they tested me for so many different things and everything was negative so they tested me for west nile lime tb uh aids i mean funny enough they tested me for that as well um they tested me for meningitis encephalitis meningoencephalitis uh spina bifida transverse myelitis basically they tested me for a lot of things and everything was negative and so they didn't know what to do and ultimately they just they just left me in a hospital and they just prayed and hoped that i would survive and thankfully i did so there's that well yes you did survive and clearly we can see your positive yeah. attitude towards <laughs> life right here um yeah so like take us back to that time because it seems that it was you almost came close to dying three times mm-hmm. in within a 24 yes. hour 20, 23 day period yes yes so basically what happened is i had just come from india so this was in august yeah this was in august i just come from india in july end of july beginning of august and i got sick with a fever and i it was a fever it was about 102 103 degrees fahrenheit um so that's quite high honestly hmm. a normal fever is about 100.5 101 and it was 100 203 and that was quite high and i would feel chills i would feel hot all of the sudden i would have a headache i would be normal i would be fine afterwards and so 
you know, we went to my pediatrician at that time. And he said that it was probably because of the change in climate and the change in weather. And I obviously in India, it was a monsoon at that time. And so I just come back from, you know, the heavy rains and the wind and everything. And here in the US, it was kind of, it was warm and it was getting to, you know, fall and everything. And uh, so because of that, he thought it was probably because of the change in climate that I was getting sick. That's why I was getting sick. So he told me to take Motrin, Tylenol, basically paracetamol, mm-hmm. uh, like Crocin. I mean, in India, you get Crocin. Mm-hmm. So similar, something similar to that. And I took that. And, you know, when I would take the paracetamol or the Tylenol, that's when my fever would go away. It would it would be suppressed by the medication. And once, you know, the effect of the medication wore off, I would get the fever back again. I would get headaches. And they weren't normal headaches, like a temple headache. It was uh, it was like in a halo. It was surrounding my whole head. And uh, we then went to the ER and the doctor said that, you know, it's nothing. Everything is fine. Just take her home. Just give us some bed rest. And then suddenly one day I... I started hallucinating. I was sleeping and my mom came to me and she woke me up. She took a hand and she rubbed it across my head and she woke me up and I just started hallucinating. And I was just looking at her as if I was possessed or something. And I I frankly just told her that I want to go home. I don't know who you are. My mother is dead and these goons came up and they hit me. I just started talking nonsense. I honestly don't know what I was talking about or what I was referencing, but it was just nonsense. And they took me back to the, I I mean, I was fine after two seconds, like two minutes, not two seconds, two minutes. And they took me back to the hospital. The doctor said, everything is fine. He did every necessary test. Everything was fine. They did a spinal tap. A spinal tap is basically where they insert a needle into the lumbar region of the spinal cord to withdraw cerebral spinal fluid so they can test it. And every, that was also normal. And my mom even told them that I I was in India, so I had probably gotten malaria. And so they tested me for that, and that came out to be normal as well, like I mentioned before. Mm. And uh, I was sent back home. And the next day, I was walking and I was walking as if I was drunk, as if I had five or six shots and I was drunk and I couldn't walk properly. And I tried to go to the bathroom, but I just couldn't urinate. I just couldn't go. And so they took me back to the hospital and they had to insert a tube into my bladder and they drained my bladder. And they sent me to a bigger hospital, which was in Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was Hershey Medical Center. And there they did, um, they did uh, an MRI And so the MRI, they saw that there was some shadow in the back of my neck. So they took me to a testing room to do another spinal tap. And my mom and dad and, you know, our family friends, they were inside my hospital room and they were talking to um, a social worker about my stay and about everything else. And uh, when they took me to the testing room, I was fine. I was talking. I was in my senses. But the only thing is, is that I was having seizures. Um, I was having minute seizures and they did not give me any preventative medicine for that or they did not treat me for that. Uh, I'm not sure if they were they were supposed to do that or not. I'm thinking they were, but they didn't. 
they didn't do anything for that. So they took me to the testing room and I was laying on my back and uh, they turned me to my side and they did the procedure. And as soon as they turned me back onto my back, I lay, I was laying flat. I had a seizure. I had a seizure so bad that it lasted for 40 seconds and my I vomited. My blood pressure went so high. It went above the 200s and I vomited and half of the vomit went into my lungs causing respiratory arrest. I couldn't breathe and because of that, I went into cardiac arrest. So the doctors, they declared me dead right there and uh, my mom and dad, you know, they, they had a page code blue. So they page code blue and everyone was running around. So my parents, they were in the hospital room and they saw that everyone was running around and our family friend, she came out and she asked my mom, she, my mom's name is Pallavi. So they asked her, she said, Pallavi, why are they running around like this? So my mom ironically said that, you know, somebody might be serious. Don't worry about it. Just come in. And so my mom, she went out, she was curious and she went out and she saw my nurse running towards her. And she's like, Mrs. Modi, if you want to see your daughter for the last time, you better come with me. And my mom, my dad, and my family friend, my family friends, they ran like anything. They came to my testing room and they saw that I was lying there topless with at least 30 doctors surrounding me and a doctor performing CPR with a defibrillator. They were giving me electric shocks. And uh, they tried twice. They could not get my heart back. And so my doctor is like, you know, I'm going to try one last time. And if it doesn't work out, then she's going to be declared, you know, she's going to be declared dead as in dead. Uh, they had just actually declared me clinically dead, but dead as in go to the morgue dead. So he tried one last time. And thankfully, he got a very minute heartbeat back. It was very weak. He got it back. And my mom and my dad just broke down and... You know, the doctor came out and he said that, you know, I survived, I'm okay. But they had to transfer me to the ICU. And so they had to put a tube down my throat so I could breathe because I could not get my heart. They did not, they got my heart back, but they did not get my breathing back. So because of that, I needed to be on a ventilator. I had so many IVs and so many different wires on me. You you couldn't see my face. Honestly, I'm not even exaggerating. There were so many wires on me. I had an NG tube up my nose. I had a feeding tube up the other nostril. There was just so many, so many wires. So that day, you know, after, after the whole episode, I came, I came out, I was, I came to my senses. I was conscious and my mom came to me and she asked me to squeeze her fingers if I could recognize her. And I squeezed her fingers and, you know, my family was there. So she asked me, you know, who these people are. And so I pointed at, you know, everyone. And I, I, I couldn't speak, obviously, but my mom would verbally tell me, ask me, okay, who's this? Point to this person. And I pointed towards them. And the next day, the doctors said that they needed to do the spinal tap again because there was not enough fluid for them to test. My mom said no. She said no right away that she did not give them consent but then they, my, my uncle convinced her and said that, you know, they need to do it. So you might as well just give them permission. So she signed the consent form and they took me into the ice, into the, the testing room to do another procedure. 
And after that procedure, I went into a coma. Oh my so, God. Yeah. So I was in a coma for 23 days, during which one time my body temperature went below 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And our normal is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit and it went below 90. So they again declared me, they said I was serious and they declared me clinically dead because they couldn't heat my body up. They put heated lamps surrounding me, heated blankets, and they kept it on for 40 minutes and they couldn't warm my body up. After 40 minutes, they just gave up hope and they took everything off. And they just said, it's just a wait and watch game now. And within half an hour, my body temperature just regulated by itself. And they have no idea how it happened. They're still confused. I mean, right now, they're still confused. They have no idea why it happened, why it happened in the first place, and how it automatically just rose, you know, with the blankets and everything off. So they, again, they, they said it was a miracle. And uh, the other time, the last time, they, my, my, I lost so much blood that my hemoglobin went below four. And the normal is 12 to 13, depending on if you're a female or a male. So it went below four and they declared me clinically dead again because they couldn't get my hemoglobin back up. They had to give me three units of blood. And uh, the funny thing is that they didn't have my blood. I'm uh, my blood type's B positive, which is which is actually a quite common blood type. But they didn't have my blood in their blood bank. In their blood bank, sorry. So they had to they had to get it in uh, via air, and uh, they gave me three units of blood, and my hemoglobin would still not come up to normal. And after I think about forty minutes to an hour, it just regulated by itself. So again, they have. No idea why it happened. They did all the necessary tests. They did an ultrasound. They did everything, a CT, everything. And everything was normal. So they still have no idea why it happened in the first place. So on on September 21st, uh, they had a meeting and they told my mom and dad that they were going to take me off of the ventilator because... There was, there was nothing. I mean, there were no improvements. There was no chance of improvement and they had just given up hope. So my mom, she literally got down on her knees. She begged, she laid down flat and she grabbed the doctor's legs and she laid down on her stomach and she grabbed the doctor's legs. And she's like, I want you to keep her alive until the 29th because it's her birthday. She's going to be 15 years old. And I want to celebrate her birthday. And my doctors were like, you're crazy, mom. They they called her mom. You're crazy. Like, how, why do you want to celebrate your daughter's birthday? She's in a coma. She's not going to survive this. My mom is like, I know she's going to survive this. And I, when my daughter comes out of a coma, not if, when my daughter comes out of a coma, I want, she's going to ask me, what happened to my birthday? Did you not, did you not celebrate it? And I want to show her video, a video as proof that I did celebrate her birthday, even though she was in a coma. And so the doctors, you know, they spoke to the dean of medicine and they got her permission. And we called all of our family. 
you know, people brought food. My aunt decorated and she she brought food for over 60 people. And uh, we celebrated my birthday. And the coincidence is, is that I was born at 3.05 p.m. And as soon as my dad, you know, he was crying and he was singing happy birthday. And he took my hand and he cut my cake. At exactly 3.05 p.m., I opened my eyes. Oh. And... Yeah, I was I was staring at the ceiling and everyone started screaming and the nurses started screaming and my doctors came and they did a quick evaluation and they started screaming and jumping up and down and they hugged my mom and they said, your daughter is alive because of you, mom, not because of our medicine, but because of your persistence and your perseverance. It's because of you. And my mom asked them my chances of how much, you know, if, if I'd survive or not. And the doctor said that she will survive. We don't know when she'll come out of a coma, but we do know that there's a bigger chance now. And we don't know if she will be 100% okay or if there will be a problem with her. They had actually um, speculated or suspected that I would be brain dead, mentally ill. I would uh, have some form of brain damage I would either be paralyzed or I would have amnesia. I'd forget everything. And on the 5th of October, they took me to the ER to take my breathing tube out. And they wanted to do a tracheostomy or a tracheotomy, sorry. So that's basically when they take the breathing tube out and they insert it through the vocal the vocal box. So they, they did that. And I came out of my coma after the anesthesia wore off. And uh, the biggest coincidence is when my mom was pregnant, the doctor, she had given, she, I'm sorry, she had given the due date, the original due date was supposed to be October 5th. So I came out on the 29th and, you know, I opened my eyes on the 29th when I was in the coma and I came out of my coma on the 5th of October. So because of that, I now celebrate two birthdays, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty awesome. I get twice the twice the amount of birthday gifts. Um, but coming back to the story, uh, when I came out of my coma, they did an evaluation, and I was fine. Nothing happened. The, everything that, that that the doctors speculated, it didn't happen. My memory was intact. I was not brain dead. I did not have brain damage. I was not mentally ill. The only thing that happened was that I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed from the neck down. Now, the biggest thing in this story is that when my when I was in the coma, my my family, a lot of my family, there a lot of them are doctors or lawyers, and they'd come and they would read my chart and they would tell my dad that you know. Mr. Modi, your daughter's not going to survive. And my daddy, he would just cry by himself. And he would tell them, look, you told me that's okay, but don't tell her mom. I don't want to break her trust. And it just surprises me. To this day, it surprises me that my dad, like the amount of strength that he must have had to keep that secret to himself and the amount of strength that my mom must have had to be so strong while everyone was so negative around her, while everyone knew that I wasn't going to survive except her, just to be that strong, to, you know, to have that strength, you know, for my mom and my dad, both two opposite sides, and they're so strong 
I mean, that right there, that is my strength and that is my motivation. Yeah. That's where I get it from. Yeah. Virali, I honestly, I, uh, it's too much. It really yeah. is too much. I, if, I know. It's as if everything that could go wrong went wrong. Mm-hmm. So many things. It's, it's, they can make a movie on you, really. And I guess we can, you know, we can talk about it in a very sort of non-serious way now. Yeah. It's been 11 years. Yeah. But th- I mean, that time must have been so crushing for you and, and more so for your parents. I mean, you went into a coma after some time. I um, honestly don't remember anything. I remember two things from my coma. And the first thing is, is, when they had declared me dead the first time, I remember so vividly and in, in, in so much detail that I was in this room. And I, I know there's many people, they don't believe me when I say this. And so many people are skeptics. But I remember I was in this room. It was a totally white room. There were these stairs and no railings, just white stairs that appeared out of nowhere. And I was walking up those stairs and I came to this big mahogany door that was engraved with so much detail. And I knocked and there was a loud echo. I knocked on the door countless times and nobody opened it. And I just walked back and I'm here. And I don't know what it was. I truly, I don't know what to believe. I sometimes think that it was probably, you know, an entrance way to something, to a different realm or something. I don't know, honestly. I don't know what to believe. Um, but I remember seeing that so vividly and not many people believe me. And I, I can understand that. I mean, I I wouldn't believe it if I were in their shoes. But it was so yeah. vivid. And at the same time, when I was in the coma, I remember having a dream. Now, this is a kind of a funny dream. I remember... Um, have you ever played Pokemon when you were young? Yeah. Or if you play it now, Pokemon Go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I had this dream that I was uh, in one of those hospitals or healing centers <laughs> in, in Pokemon where you would take your Pokemon <laughs> and get them healed. Okay. So I had a dream that I was there and the nurses, they were healing me. So everything that was happening, oh. I remember seeing it in my dream, like this is happening. Okay, my body temperature went below 90. I lost so much blood. And the nurses are running around like crazy lunatics. And they're trying to take care of me. And I had that dream. And when I came out of my coma, I told my mom that and she just started laughing. And that was I think that was the best thing Mm -hmm. to come out of such a grave situation, just to make it so lighthearted. And to think about it in that aspect, it just—it was just so funny at that time. It still is funny, honestly. Pokemon. Yeah, I mean that's on. a nice dream to have for sure. I would love to have that dream, but right. Um, Unfortunately, I did not see a Pikachu or a Charizard, <laughs> so I'm kind of sad about that. But okay. what can you do? <laughs> when, so when you came out of your coma, I guess uh, did you realize soon enough then that you were paralyzed? Now, this is another story in itself. Uh, I did not realize that. Um, The doctors had told my family not to tell me that I was paralyzed. In my mind, 
I my hands were under the covers and they were kept straight. I my feet were my legs were kept straight and in my mind I would think that you know I have an itch I need to itch myself and I would try to move and I could feel like my I could feel that my fingers were moving but they honestly they were not moving. Um I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the this term called phantom limb. Mhm. Yeah, so it basically happens to soldiers or to the military or to people yeah. who you know they've lost an arm or something or they've lost a leg they can still feel that their leg is there so it was kind of like that but not in, not entirely because i did obviously i still had my limbs mm. but it was like that i could feel that my fingers were moving when they really want and i remember they transferred me to um to rehabilitation and i was staying there and uh, my grandmother was there my mom and dad they they had left the room to to get some food or something and so i guess smartly or stupidly i would say i asked my grandma i asked her you know how how many how, for how long have you been here how many days have you been here i think i was just trying to be a smart aleck i don't know what i was trying to do mm-hmm. i asked her that trick question and she answered it without knowing that i was tricking her and she said oh i've been here for about 30 35 days so i asked her why why were you why were you here that long she's like oh didn't you know you were in a coma you're paralyzed now and i went into shock i i was kind of shocked not because i was paralyzed i was shocked and i was angry because my mom and dad didn't tell me honestly my paralysis that really didn't affect me i obviously i was sad afterwards after i found out but right away that was not my first reaction i was not sad because of that that was not my first reaction i was angry because my mom and dad did not tell me they were not the ones to tell me um honesty is a big thing for me and i like a lot of transparency in my life so for my mom and dad to keep that such a big such a big ordeal a secret it really hurt me and when they came i did not speak to them not at least for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and when they i when they bugged me enough i finally shouted and i said i would have expected better from you guys i would have expected you to tell me that i was paralyzed not my grandmother mm-hmm. just you because you're my mom and dad she is not my parent i would have expected this form of transparency from you yeah but you know what is what is really um i don't know remarkable i guess is that uh, at least what i read is that before all of this happened you were an aspiring model you were still an aspiring model but you at that time you already had a photo shoot schedule with coca cola i think um, yes which is a big deal right so yes uh to to have something like this happen to you when you're so close to realizing your dreams i mean that can shatter anyone so first of all how did you feel and then what what do you think is different about you that you just took all of this in your stride honestly i will say that it it didn't cross my mind the whole coca cola shoot it did not cross my mind it crossed my mind at a later stage and when i found out not found out but when i realized what i had lost i was shattered 
like you said, it can shatter anybody. I was devastated and I was shattered mainly because I was foolish enough to think that after my paralysis, you know, I could recover within a couple of months. Like it's not a big deal. It's it's just a small thing. And I've had I've had extensive medical training and I should have known I shouldn't have been that stupid or that foolish to think that I could I, I could recover in just a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um that was my foolishness. Uh but after I found like after I realized that this isn't happening, it's going to take much more longer, much more time than a couple of months. It's going to take years. That's when it finally dawned on me. The I guess the realization that yeah, it's going to take longer for my dreams to come true. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized that, you know, this is this is what's happening. And it did shatter me. I was depressed. This was one of the main causes of my depression. I did not want to live. I had become suicidal. Um, I had tried committing suicide. But it wasn't just because of this. There were many different aspects to it. Um, but answering your question, coming back to it, I decided that, you know, this is probably just not the only thing that I can accomplish. Maybe in the near future, when I'd come out of my depression and, you know, when I'd gotten over the whole suicide thing and when I finally realized what I am capable of, I decided that maybe modeling or acting is not the only thing that I can achieve. Maybe there is something more for me. And I will only know if I'm alive to try it. And I'll only know my true capabilities if I try. And I cannot have a negative mindset or I cannot think about suicide or I cannot be depressed if I want to know my true capabilities. So I think that is what really helped me to get out of this and to just go forward and just to try to see what I'm capable of, to try to accomplish my dreams. I mean, honestly, I have to say, Virali, hats off to you. Honestly, hats off to you because much smaller things devastate people today it's i mean you spend so much time on cora people are worried about yeah. oh oh i'm 25 and i still make only 100k a year oh shit i'm such a loser like and this is true uh, right like people are worried about these things and yeah it is true it's it like, is. how can you tell us like to the extent you want to share what was that transition period like from the time when you were as you said you were in depression to the time that you pulled yourself out, was this something that happened gradually? Is there something specific that you did that you think helped you? Honestly, what really happened, I think what really affected me was when I had overdosed. So I was depressed. Again, like I said, many things. My family, they had stopped talking to me because I was on a wheelchair and according to them, that's the taboo or whatever and they had nothing to do with me they didn't want anything to do with me my friends had stopped talking to me I was honestly I was alone I didn't have anybody the only people that I had in my life were my parents and on top of that I realized that I couldn't complete my education because I was so self-conscious that I self-conscious that I didn't did not want to go to school in a position you know, paralyzed. I did not want to go to school on a wheelchair 
because I was afraid that people would make fun of me. And again, that was foolish. I should have put my education first. I didn't. I decided to drop out of school. I did not go to school. I finished my 10th and I decided to stop studying. Um, so a lack of social life, a lack of relatives or friends, family life, a lack of entertainment. I didn't have anything to do. All I did was go to physical therapy, go to occupational therapy, come home, watch TV, eat, and then go to sleep. And it was so boring. It was so devastating. I didn't have anything to do. And on top of that, I realized that my dreams are actually much farther away than I anticipated. And that broke me down. So everything combined, I was depressed. I was depressed for a long time. And I committed suicide. I tried to commit suicide. I, I'm not ashamed of it. I shouldn't have done it. Yes, I agree. But I did. I didn't have any, I did not get the mental help that I needed to get. And I think that's so important that if you're feeling that way, you should definitely get some help. And I didn't. Um, I overdosed and I remember, I remember this so distinctly. I could feel my breathing getting shallow and shallow. And I, my mom came in and she saw me, she called an ambulance and I remember being in the hospital with a tube down my nose. I was, this tube was constantly taking some green stuff out of my stomach, this bile, and it was horrid. It was this neon green stuff. It was horrible. And they made me, they made me throw up. They made me vomit. It was gross. And I remember seeing tears in my mom's eyes and my mom and dad's eyes. They were just looking at me. And I remember the doctor telling me that if I hadn't come in soon enough, I would have had a kidney failure. I would have had to have been on dialysis. I remember that. And that was so tragic. That was a shocker. And that was, I think that's what, that's what woke me up. And at the time, at the same time, my mom and dad, I, I saw the tears in their eyes and they looked at me and they said, are we not doing enough for you? Are we not helping you? Are we not caring for you? Are we not loving you? And I think that's what broke me down. Seeing that, that the trueness and the truth in their eyes, I think that's what broke me down. And I realized that my depression, I never had depression as a kid. I was never diagnosed with depression. The depression that I had was temporary. It was because of a traumatic situation. It wasn't because of long-term depression or it wasn't anything like that. It was because of the situation I was in. It was because of the traumatic events that I had been through and my family leaving me, my friends leaving me. It was because of that. And seeing the truth, the trueness in my parents' eyes, the truth in their eyes and how much it affected them and how much it was affecting me and my health I think that's what, that's what just, it just stopped me and it made me realize that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing something really wrong mm. and that I need to change myself. And we finally, with the doctor's help, we got in touch with a psychologist. She helped me through some stuff. And I started reading 
a lot. And I went online and I started interacting in a form that was mainly for depression. And I think reading other people's experiences and just talking to other people that were going through something similar as me, it really helped. And I think that is what really got me out of depression, Hmm. reading and occupying myself. That's what got me out. And plus my mom and dad just giving me a lot of their time, going slow with me, taking things gradually and just helping me slowly and slowly and just nice and gradually. And I think that's what really helped. Mm -hmm. Was it hard to talk about your your disability or um, your experience at first, sharing them with others? Yeah, it was definitely, it's definitely hard. It was difficult because my, like I said, you know, everyone had left me and I didn't know how other people would react towards my disability because I've only had negative reactions. So I wasn't too keen on sharing my disability. And when I did, and I saw that people are actually really accepting that's when I started becoming more vocal about it and more open about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it helped that you found a forum where you there were a lot of other people who were probably going through a similar experience as you. So more yes. accepting. Right? I mean, but now, I mean, if I look at Cora, you're literally a celebrity on Cora, And uh, you've been very <laughs> open with all your experiences. Uh, there's, there's been yes. a lot. I mean, if people read your answers... Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot that has happened. It's uh, yes. So, h- how was that experience? Like, when you, when did you actually decide to get on Cora and start sharing your story? Well, funny enough, I found Cora by browsing the app. You know, in the app store, I have an iPhone, so in the app store, I was browsing. I was browsing for games, and I came across Quora uh, on the front page, like on the featured apps. Hmm. And I read the description and it was about, you know, learning. And I, 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 all, I love to read and I like to learn as much as possible. Um, so I decided to go on there and I started reading a lot. And I started seeing that people are sharing their life's experiences. And I decided to just give it a try. And just to make this my own platform to speak out about my experiences and maybe simultaneously help other people along the way. Mm. But honestly, this was just my platform, like my online diary that was just supposed to be for me. Like it, I, I didn't care that it was public. The pub, the public aspect of it did not bother me or it did not phase me whatsoever. But it just, I guess after my first answer about my life, which was, about my disability and what happened, my life story about my disability. The, the I guess, the fame, it just started from that point. Like, mm-hmm. people just started adding me and just, it went crazy. People just started following me, messaging me, commenting. It just went crazy and I never expected it. I honestly never expected it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that you almost converted what you're calling a disability now it's it's become your strength right because uh it's i mean you're a motivational speaker this is very much a part of your identity and it is uh 
like and this is what people look to you for for that inspiration that hey you know look at virali if she can do what she has done then i can also do something yeah most definitely i feel that my disability my mom always told me one thing you should whatever you think is your weakness whatever you think your weakness is turn it into a strength mm-hmm. my mom has always told me that and i felt that you know this is something that has been negative for me people have viewed my disability negatively and it's high time that i changed that and you know after moving to india in 2008 i noticed that a lot of people are not accustomed to disability they're not accustomed to those who are on wheelchairs or those who have disabilities going out and about and living their lives as a normal person they are not accustomed to it and i decided to change that and i decided that you know this this is something that needs to change people need to see disability more often and it needs to be more normalized than anything else mm-hmm. no you're absolutely right and i i think in the us there is still some awareness but it's definitely a lot lower in india oh there's nothing in india yeah. there's no awareness about disability in india honestly when i first went there people were just staring at me as if as if i was a clown or something they were just staring at me and it was quite uncomfortable for me at that time and then i kind of just acknowledged that and i just decided to think i changed my mindset i i always wanted to be famous i always wanted people to know me and i wanted i always i i've always liked attention and i've always wanted attention so I decided to change my mindset. I said, "Okay, well, if they want to stare at me, I will just think of myself as a celebrity. <laughs> I am a queen and this is my throne, so you can stare at me." So, I just I changed my my perception, I changed my mindset, and now if people want to stare at me, I stare right back. <laughs> this is staring. amazing. No, but honestly, like this, uh, this is exactly why I think it is so important for people to hear your message because things which i think can can be very um uh, devastating or upsetting or shattering to uh, like a you know relatively average human being you've managed to find a way to look at them in a very very different way and and it's kind of yes. cool that you think yourself as a celebrity when people sh- stare at you because that sort of aligns with what you wanted to do earlier which was to um become a model and you've managed to do that also to some extent because uh, you are an aspiring model and you won the Miss Wheelchair India contest in uh, 2014. Yes. Oh, you were a runner. Yeah, so how did that happen? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so when I first heard about the Miss Wheelchair India contest it was in 2013 and uh, I honestly did not want to be a part of it whatsoever. So, I know it's it's quite funny actually and uh, I told my mom about it and she kept urging me to go for it, to go for it. and i decided like you know i don't want to do it i don't want to go for it and just i guess my mom i've always had a really good connection with my dad and my mom spoke to my dad about it that i don't want to do this and by that time miss future india 2013 had already you know the winner had already been announced so 2014 was up for grabs and uh my dad my mom talked to my dad about it and my dad spoke to me we had a lengthy conversation and he just kind of urged me to go for it and 
said, okay, you know what, fine. If you if you also believe in me and if mom also believes in me, you know, I'll just go for it. Whatever happens, whatever the outcome, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to have fun, basically. And uh, I got in all of the paperwork. Um, I did everything. I sent in my videos. I sent in my application. And I got selected as the grand finalist out of, a thousand thousands of women that are on wheelchair I got selected for it <laughs> and uh, that was quite surprising I was not expecting that I was quite surprised for it and then I you know I just went for it I just kept conditioning myself and I kept uh, you know just just kept aiming aiming forward I just kept aiming for it and uh, I was nervous like anything because this was my first time for like a beauty pageant. It was my first time. I was nervous and uh, I won second place and that was amazing. Awesome. I mean, yeah, that this is so cool because you've, you know, you've not let any of this stop you from going after the things that you want to do. I mean, this no. Miss Wheelchair India contest is just one of them. Your writing has been published in 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 places that you know any writer would die to get published in, like BBC and Slate and BuzzFeed. Yeah. Like, what do you think keeps you going, Virali? Like, do you, is there something that inspires you? Wow. Um. Honestly, what inspires me are my parents. My mom and dad inspire me. I've especially my father, my father inspires me a lot because I've seen the struggle that he's faced from a young age, the work, the amount of work that he's done just to come ahead and just to provide for his family. I've, I've seen that and I've just seen how much he's done, how much loss he's suffered and how he just keeps going, keeps going. And I think his determination is what inspires me to just keep trying my level best and to just keep going for it. So, yeah, it's my dad, definitely my dad that inspires me. I mean, do you have moments when you feel dejected? I do, yeah, sometimes. Uh, especially when I think... Okay, how do I put this? Especially when I think that, okay, you know, this... I'm going to do good at this, or I'm going to participate in this, or I'm going to publish this. I'm going to write an answer that's going to get published. Or I want to write about a life experience or something. It just doesn't, it just doesn't come out that way. It just, it feels, it feels horrible. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it feels horrible. And it just, I just don't know what to do at that time. And then I, I look at my dad and my, my father, he, he's just amazing. Like, He's helped me through so much that he he's made me feel like I can accomplish anything that I want. You know so. what you remind me of? You remind me of this um, TED Talk. Uh, I, I, I don't remember the name or anything, but it's a very interesting talk. It's given by a girl who didn't realize until she was 18 or some some crazy number like that that she was blind. It's, okay. It's uh, and uh, and she talks about how that happened. Uh, maybe it was slightly younger, but for a very long period of her life, she had no idea that she was blind, 
and she uh-huh. wasn't born blind she uh, she was born okay but then she she lost her eyesight for for some reason uh oh. or maybe she was again i'm going to butchering the talk over here but the impressive thing well, was that okay. she, like she she just continued with her life and she achieved a lot because she just didn't realize that there was something wrong, wrong or different her. yeah exactly and i think that's right. kind of very similar to what you're saying that it's just you you've it's 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 who you are and you don't really see it as a disability so to say it's it's just and you've made it a strength and you're just going after whatever you want to do without giving it a second thought you know why i'll tell you why because a disability i mean what normal people consider a disability being on wheelchair using crutches using a stick being blind having a mental you know mental disability or whatever autism cerebral palsy those are not disabilities honestly those are not disabilities a disability is according to me is a lack of empathy um being a rapist being uh, a sadist being a psychopath being a murderer i think those are disabilities because you lack so much emotion you lack so much empathy you your brain is not working properly those are disabilities being on a wheelchair that's not a disability because quite honestly I am capable of doing everything that you're capable of, of doing. I might do them slightly different, but I am capable of doing the same things. So how is that a disability? I don't understand it. Yeah. yeah. I I also want to talk to you about Cora and uh, I mean you've been a top writer on Cora since 2014 every single year. So has your fame on Cora led to any anything unexpected or anything surprising? Wow. Um my fame on Quora basically a lot of a lot of articles or a lot of news articles being published about me. Mm. Um I was I was actually recently uh published in BuzzFeed The Logical Indian. Um I was published in The Better India. I mean so many other uh, media outlets like news outlets basically I can say. being published by them and also uh I, yeah scoopoop as well scoopoop mm. and also being published uh you know having my getting my interview taking being being published in midday the times of india so many different news outlets i think that was the most unexpected part of it and getting so many offers for writing and stuff like that that has just been so unexpected um at the same time just you know meeting followers i guess you know i've 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 seen once or twice that i've gone out somewhere and i've randomly stumbled across a follower oh really and yes. uh, you know they would just be looking at me and then they would finally gather the courage to come up to me and say hi and then mm-hmm. they'd be so pleasantly surprised that i'm actually quite friendly and i'm <laughs> i'm not a mean person and uh, so yeah i think that's just been so amazing just to see these people in real life and just to interact with them to have a ch- a quick chat with them and just have people know me mm. for me for my writing i think that's just so amazing right, how we can just communicate with other people i think that's amazing yeah and it's and it's a uh, 
it's interesting to think about that if if you could have seen this version of yourself back when you were depressed when you felt alone and uh, you know like there was no way out and look at where you are now right i mean you have such a massive fan following i'm sure some of those people have become friends for you now yes yes right? yes so um, i i'd actually um one of my friends uh her boyfriend was actually has become one of my best friends now i'd actually worked for him mm-hmm. i was working for him as a, a content writer on his website and unfortunately you know that 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 shut down and we just became closest friends and now we've been friends for about 3 years now and he's become one of my best friends mm-hmm. but yeah there we have a we have a tight knit group in mumbai and uh, we meet up with each other and uh, we we have a good time we have a lot of fun so i think i think that's pretty awesome right so w- what do you do now by the way i mean um i think you mentioned that you work at an ngo yes i'm working for an ngo called point of view so i work i am a writer for sexdis.org i i think that's the website don't quote me on that but i think that's the website you can just google sexdis and you'll get it up um you'll find the website how do you spell but it but i i sexdis s e x d i s okay you can just google it I'm not sure of the exact website. Um but yeah, I write for them so I write about disability mostly and I write about my life's experiences, hmm. my life's experiences and uh I just try to give new perspective I try to give a new perspective on disability and how people, you know, they can just change the outlook. So that's specifically what I do. I see. But I'm guessing that you spent a fair amount of your uh time on Cora also. I like do you because yeah. there's so yes. much so much volume of content from you so Yeah, over 2000 answers. Yeah. Yes, yes, I know. And all very uh, nicely written yeah, answers. So <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do. I spend a lot of time on Cora. Um but at the same time, I do look for different opportunities and I try to do as much as possible. So, I mean, let's see. There are some plans for the future. Let's see how things work out. I mean, what are some of the it sounds like you're someone who has who has actively thought about things that you want to do in life. Are there certain things that like, you know, in the short to middle term things that you want to do? I want to write a book. Also, I I I already have a YouTube channel, but the content isn't that well recorded isn't that great so i'm thinking about maybe reestablishing youtube and just start putting out more and more and new content better recorded content i can say mm-hmm. uh that's it for right now um i'm also thinking that uh, there might be some prospective uh movie plans uh-huh. or something a web series or something in the near future we're still working on the on the concept of it and the fundamentals about it but let's see let's see very cool now it's really very yeah. impressive really honestly thank what, you what would be your message for for people who are i mean and i'm sure you see this in your friend circle also right people who are relatively young in their careers but stressed out they're not sure what uh, you know am i doing enough 
I I want to be more successful than I am right now. Like, what would be your overall message to people like them? Stop stressing. I think that is my biggest message. I always I I believe in one thing. I believe in this. If you can change it, then change it. Stop stressing about it. If you can't change it, then stop stressing about it. Because even if you stress or if you don't stress, it's not going to change anything. The only thing that that's going to change is if you go for it and you try changing it yourself. If you're not happy where you currently are right now, then do something that makes you happy. Maybe you might not earn enough, but you'll be happy doing it. And when you're happy doing something, you can think more clearly and you can earn more easily. I think that is the biggest message to. you know young people and to my generation not even my generation anyone stop stressing about things stop worrying about things and just do what you need to do you can only change your future if you want to change it you cannot just sit around think yeah, i need to change this this needs to happen this needs to happen or that needs to happen you need to go out and you need to do it yourself so stop worrying and stop getting frustrated when you're frustrated you cannot think properly just go with the flow like i say just keep swimming just go with the flow just keep swimming and just see what happens you are responsible for your life and you can change the things that you want to change i think that's my biggest message oh i love it and actually that is right your your motto for life is just keep swimming from finding nemo yes. yeah yes Okay. Love that movie. Yeah. All right, Virali. This was truly awesome. Honestly, I today, in fact, just today morning, I was feeling low about something, and I was like, you know what, tonight that is so being so ungrateful. I mean, think about the person you're speaking to tonight, and think what <laughs> she's gone through, and you really do not have any right to be feeling low. So I really, you, I think you've had an impact on a lot of people. It's very evident on Cora. You've definitely had an impact on me. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much. I just want to tell you one thing. Yeah. You have every right to feel sad or to feel upset about something. You have every right. No matter this is I'll tell you one thing. No matter how inspiring I am or whatever traumatic experiences I've been through, you have every right to be upset. Honestly, I get upset about small things too. I honestly do get upset about small things. If I have a fight with my boyfriend, I get upset about that. and i start worrying about those things and i'll be honest with you those worrying about small things like that that's what makes you human but what makes you a great human is when you worry about those things but then you also find a solution and you get over those things you don't let it dwell so don't let these things dwell don't dwell on these things just get over it as fast as possible try to find solutions for your life because ultimately like i said you are responsible for your happiness no one else is going to make you happy no one else is going to make you sad people's actions they only define you when you let them affect you I, do you, am i am i making sense no you are, you are i was just thinking that okay. i forgot that you're also a motivational speaker now right uh, yeah 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 which i can see so no you're right no you're right i mean i i think it it is human to feel upset or sad about things but the important thing is to then find a solution as you said and pick yourself up and get back to life 
All right, Virali. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you. Yep. Good night. Take care. Bye bye. Good night. You too. Bye. So that was Virali, and that was quite a story, isn't it? I personally really enjoyed today's discussion, and I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion also. You should definitely check out Virali's profile on Quora. Just search for. Virali Modi, V I R A L I M O D I, and you can see that she's very active on Quora. She answers a lot of questions, so do check out her profile. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Virali or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at led underscore curator. If you enjoyed today's discussion, then you should subscribe to the podcast. Just go to our website at learneducatediscover.com where you'll find links to the podcast on iTunes for Apple users and Stitcher and SoundCloud for Android users. On the website, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletters where we share updates on new episodes as well as a number of other helpful career resources. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and until the next one. Bye-bye.